Anarchist Experience, episode 273, aka year six, week 23, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. All right. And since this is your weekly call-in show, man, why not? Uh, those numbers are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, couldn't get you on last week, KS, because scheduling issues just didn't work out. Glad to have you back. Uh, what is going on yeah. with you guys this week? Mm. <laughs> some hiking, <laughs> uh, some work online, uh, just uh, writing and stuff like that. I'm preparing a, uh, some research on the Jones Act, which is um, the uh, issue, which we, we may have dealt with that before here in the islands here. I mean, with on your show, right? And it, it's it's one of those things that gets covered, and I don't know if we ever if there's ever enough time to dedicate to that issue where people can fully grasp like all the intricacies of it, right? Because I feel like we talk about it, we gloss over it. Um, you know, I one of the things I shared with you prior to going on the show was, you know, I had a conversation with my dad on Father's Day, and you know. My advice always is get the hell out of there, right? Like the, the state economy is collapsing due to government mismanagement. Um, and as smug as he could be, he says, why would I? This is the safest place that you can be. I was like, well, because you don't understand like the third, fourth, fifth level, you know, uh, implications on shutting down an entire economy uh, and how that has long lasting effects. And one of the things that I think he dramatically doesn't understand i don't think anybody really understands uh in hawaii are the implications of the jones act and how shutting down an economy number one uh, is terrible but how the jones act being in place exacerbates that uh to who knows what degree um so if you want to talk about that by all means please i'm always interested in hearing about it i think new listeners can you know kind of grasp what it entails uh, and also people who don't understand how it how this thing this hundred year old law uh, can still be in place when it only really affects like hawaii and puerto rico and really only affects them negatively so please carry on with the jones act <laughs> that's an amazing thing about it that uh, is supposedly for national security but it puts the 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 heaviest burden ninety percent on two percent of the nation's population in terms of higher costs and and uh, shipping for Alaska, Hawaii, and and Puerto Rico. Yeah. So you said you were doing some yeah you know, some writing on it. Like what what aspect of it are you covering now? Um. Well, I'm I'm interested in comparing it to um, what an enemy would do to us in wartime. Okay, And that strikes me as what uh, Henry George was referring to when he said protectionism teaches us uh, to do to our own nation in peacetime what the enemy would do to us in wartime. And that's precisely what governments do uh, when they go to war. The first thing they do is to try to blockade the, uh, you know, the shipping and supplies uh, between nations because they know how beneficial international trade is and how crippling it can be to cut it off. Seems like and an effective so they, tactic. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, what the, um, some uh, shipyards and shipping companies and labor unions effectively become the enemies of, of the country for their own particular uh, benefits using um, all kinds of illogic, uh, but through their influence and power with, as special interest groups with politicians. And therefore, the politicians are collaborators with them in crippling the economy for uh, the benefit of a few um, special interests. And they so they cut off the shipping. And the way they do that with the Jones Act is to say, well, if you're going to uh, use a ship to go from Hawaii to Los Angeles and back, you know, take goods back and forth, um, it has to be on an American-made ship with an American crew, American-owned, American flag. Um, all of that... Um, uh, the purpose of which is to build a demand for the uh, building in American shipyards, which are also mostly 
uh, foreign owned. I mean, there's, I think I, I heard uh, last week um, that uh, there are four shipyards that make ocean going vessels for uh, commercial use in the U S uh, right now. And, and uh, I think it's either two or three, I think even three of those are foreign owned. And then most of their supplies they get from foreign sources. And also that's not really uh, entirely, but they, they are very, very effective lobbyists to get that uh, through. And that means that the, the ship, for example, is five times more expensive for an American vessel and all the costs then incurred for shipping. And uh, instead of uh, getting it, say, from South Korea or Japan, two of American allies, we have troops stationed in South Korea and Japan, presumably for their defense, because we have mutual defense treaties and we trust them enough that we want to defend them. Our soldiers are there to defend them, but we can't trust them enough to supply their ships um, to the United States uh, for commercial use. Yeah, well, it's, it's absurd. You say, you say we can't trust them, but is it is it an issue of trust or is it like you initially said, the protectionism from the unions and the lobbyists who whether they trust them or not, have their own self-interest in mind. Well, yeah, the, the practical is the advantage is that it's protectionism of U.S. Uh, interests, and um, but the rationale for it is for national security. Well, we couldn't rely on them if, if we got into trouble. The thing is, you know, by the time you you would build a, if, if we needed a ship, even the mil U.S. military relies mostly on, on, um, foreign flagships for their deployments and today's military operates so different than it did than it did a hundred years ago when the law was passed, you know, that, um, there are air flights that take things, um, you know, to destinations by air and don't, don't even use the ships. And the result is that our own, uh, uh, shipbuilding industry has been so shielded from competition that they've become very, very antiquated behind in technology uh, inefficient, highly costly, and uh, they're almost out of existence now. I think they're about half of 1% of, of all the world's shipping now uh, as a result of these uh, protections and inefficiencies. So not, they, only does it, not only does it hurt the, the islands of Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and state of Alaska, um, as you added, but it's also putting uh, American shipbuilders behind competitively with the rest of the world as well. They're not able to keep up technologically, sounds like. Right, right. And by the way, this Jones Act also applies to, um, you know, the river traffic. So barges and ships going up and down the Mississippi River or going from uh, port to port in uh, the Gulf, Co Gulf of uh, Mexico, for example, uh, for Texas, uh, even going from from texas probably the biggest cost is going from texas to new york in order to send um, a load a tanker of oil it it costs um, six dollars per um per barrel of oil to send the uh the the ship from texas to new york and it costs two dollars to send it further uh only two dollars to go from texas to canada costs one third as much to go further to Canada because you, you could do that on a foreign vessel. So what that does, it actually builds uh, a bigger, a bigger interest in longer shipping. Now, you know, you, you, you uh, load your, your cargo in, in uh, Texas, you can take the ship to Europe and then back <laughs> to New York. And it's still cheaper than taking it directly to New York. How insane. I first, I first learned about this when I was up in Alaska I was talking with the people at the Alaska Lumber and Pulp uh, Mill, and they said, I said, well, where, where do you sell your, your pulp that you produce from this Sitka spruce? And they said, well, we, we sell it down in Seattle to the mills down there. And I said, well, so the, how long does it take to ship it down there? Oh, well, we have to ship it to Tokyo first and then to Seattle because it's um, too expensive to send on a Jones Act ship directly down the coast. So that's, you know, 10 times as far that they have to ship it. And of course the fuel that's involved and um, the extra expense involved. Yeah. All the drove, added inefficiencies. And it drove that business out of, out of business. It drove the mill out of business. They're out of business now. Why? Because the, the mill down in British Columbia didn't have that restriction. They could, they could transport their stuff directly to, uh, uh, to Seattle or to Alaska anywhere. 
without having to have to use a Jones Act ship. Same thing in Hawaii. The sugar industry, I'm convinced, <coughs> was certainly handicapped and probably driven out of business by this uh, Jones Act requirement uh, because it was cheaper to send sugar from the Philippines to Los Angeles than to send from Hawaii to Los Angeles. It's shorter by far. Yeah. Maybe a, a third as far. But See, it's much more expensive, maybe twice as expensive to send it. So therefore, they've driven out of business. That's a good example. Because again, I'll go back to the conversation that I had with my dad uh, recently regarding those, you know, those unseen levels of, you know, of, of effects that people dis dismiss because you don't see them. Um, and he said, you know, I said, you can't crash, you can't shut down the entire economy and crash everything. Right. He goes, well, I've been, I've been saying that for years. You can't just rely on tourism. You know, I'm like, well, that's what you guys are doing. That's what, that's the, the primary, you know, economic motivator, whatever for the, the Hawaiian islands is tourists coming in. He's like, yeah, but we, we used to have, you know, the, the, the sugar mills and the, and you know, the sugar plantations and all, and other, he's like, you got to have at least like two or three industries. And I went, so what you're saying is you had these things in the past, right? And through perverse government incentives, they left, right? Exactly. I didn't pin, I didn't pinpoint the Jones act cause that's new information to me as well. So thank you for that, Ken, uh, KS, but yeah, well, but who knew? When I first came to the islands here in 1979, there were 80 sugar plantations in the islands. Now they're gone. They're all gone. And uh, you're, you're right in saying that it's not just a rise in the cost of living, which is sort of a generalized thing uh, for consumers, but it cripples all of those diverse alternatives for the economy. And it constantly, the legislature is saying, yeah, we have to have a diverse uh, economy because we're so dependent on tourism and it's now shut down by the lockdown. We have to think of ways that the government can inspire other people to come here and do business. Oh, of course. They're always thinking of a government solution. They right. never think of how the government could just step out of the way. <laughs> or how the government, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, was, was one of the primary motivators for losing those industries in the first place. Right? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's it's the yeah. greedy capitalist, right? It's the it's the businessman who found who didn't want to do business here and thought they could do it better elsewhere. They just up and left for who knows what reason. Uh, but obviously, you know, maybe maybe not obviously, but some you know, in some form or fashion, you can trace it back uh, to some perverse incentive that the government made, right? Uh, if mm -hmm. if they're not going to be, and that's the other thing, right? They always the 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 people who back the state always think that it's the government itself, right? That is responsible for creating these incentives, right? Yeah, yeah. No one yeah. would have a sugar plantation in Hawaii if the government wasn't incentivizing uh, plantation owners and businessmen to do that, right? Um, it mm -hmm. reminds me of another one that I, I was, uh, when I was still living there, uh, my stepdad was watching some show on, uh, it's like a local, local cable access thing on the residential developments right and so they were they were interviewing some of the the uh the larger residential and commercial builders right like i forget the name the names of them um and you know so i one of the issues at hand was like uh, low-income housing right we got to make housing cheaper for people so people can afford to live in hawaii right and you know one of the builders one of the you know representatives for the building company was very direct he said well we're not going to build low income housing unless the state incentivizes us to build low income housing. Right? <laughs> There's no money in it for us to do it unless it's subsidized in some way. And I was like, well, there's your problem right there. <laughs> right. Well, my solution on that is just if the government allowed trailer parks, allowed mobile homes, they would have an abundance of, um, of low income, how the, the lowest cost housing available in America could just be shipped here. We wouldn't need to have the construction companies and the unions building them here. And also if it wasn't for the land controls, you know, 5% of all the land area of Hawaiian islands is zoned for commercial and residential use only 5%. That means 95% is zoned for conservation or agriculture and people aren't allowed to uh, have trailer parks. Because, you know, and I, I've even asked. Well, trailer parks are undignified. Market. So you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't want. That's exactly. I, I asked these, even these free market uh, 
uh, pseudo free market people. Um, <laughs> how about allowing trailers and mobile homes? And they all just wince and they say, Oh no, that's a bad impression. As if it's better to have homeless uh, shelters all across yeah, the beach. Or tent encampments <laughs> along the beach, right? Yeah. <laughs> Foolishness and folly all the way up and down. But you got You got to get the incentivization from the government, right? What What would incentivize the government, you know, to to allow trailer parks? How can they benefit from this? And then maybe they'll allow it, right? If you can convince them that there's there's something in it for them, uh, of course, that's the only way to like you know grease the wheels, grease the palms of of the state representatives to get them to see things your way. All of a sudden, yeah. Well, I th- I think they're blind to market solutions. And that's because politicians are as, you know, people saying, oh, we, we don't like the self-interest motive of the of the marketplace and Adam Smith's of invisible hand and self-interest. Well, it's not like the government is non-self-interest. The, the whole of public choice economics was focusing on the fact that government and politicians are serving their own special interests, and that is increasing their power. Right. And uh, and the influence that they get with power. I mean, that's uh, that's all that it that it is. And uh, there's, you know, I, I remember hearing one guy years ago, this uh, Danish guy, he was saying, "You you Americans are so selfish. You you want to keep your taxes. Uh, you know, you're always complaining about taxes taking your money. That's so selfish." And I said, "Which is more selfish, for me to want to spend my money or for you to want to spend my money?" You know. Yeah. It's far more selfish for the government to want to spend my money. <laughs> I mean, well, selfish of them. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but that's that's a similar excuse that I'm hearing, you know, from the left mostly and from, you know, those other countries uh, about the whole COVID situation, right? Like Americans are so selfish. All Americans are so selfish. The, the conservatives are so selfish that they don't want to wear a mask. They don't want to self-quarantine. They don't, they don't want to disrupt the economy in order to protect everyone, right? It's, it's you know, uh, one of my, uh, he, he's, I think he's in California or Nevada or whatever, uh, Facebook friends. I know the guy personally. Um, like, we're not close, but I, I have met him in person, so he's not only an online friend. Um, he was basically, like, uttering that same thing, right? If, if we had been less independent, right, and, and more social, right, and, and, you know, coming together as a people, then we could have licked this COVID-19 thing long ago. But, but those darn independents who are only thinking of their self-interest uh, are the ones preventing everything from reopening because they're the ones going out there without their masks on, spreading this thing rampantly through the countryside. Well, I think uh, MC has the best take on the uh, Europeans in Sweden who were far more individualist and freedom oriented than, than any of the others in Europe, even the, of the United States, you know, the fact that they, they said, well, we leave it up to individuals to make their own judgments about um, what risks they're willing to take. And they left their economy open and people have been criticized, looking for criticism of them saying, Oh, but they've got a, a rising uh, coronavirus uh, rate. Well, they do all across the world. Uh, but they they zero in on them because they allowed the the freedom and yes. uh, I think that in the long run <laughs> they're going to have a much better society for having not locked down and a much better immune response. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh yeah, I, I had a run, I had a dude from Australia. Mm-hmm. I had a dude from Australia, you know, on online tell me today that, you know, if, if we had, you know, he was making fun because the United States, 50,000 new cases, 70,000 more, you know, uh, rising daily, uh, Joe Biden, 120 more million dead people, you know, he's, and, and he, he's like, you know, to, if, if you really wanted to help people, you tell people to stay inside. And I go, why? If you go outside, you get fresh air, you get vitamin D, you get exercise. Like exactly. that's the way you build your immune system, man. If if we're all going to survive this, you got to be outside, getting dirty, getting germs, building your immunities up. You know, not inside. You know, getting frail, getting pasty. Uh, they 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 finally opened up my uh, my gym in my apartment today. So I, as you know, the day they opened it up, well, maybe not the day, but you know, the day after they opened it up, I was like, all right, I got to get back into this. 
And so I, you know, I've been at the gym, you know, nearly every day this week, uh, getting back into it, like rebuilding, uh, all the gains that I had lost, um, between March and now, uh, because, you know, even, even if there was a gym open, right there, there were, even if I could exercise, there were no gyms open. The, the most you could do is like go outside and, you know, get a good jog in. Um, but that was, you know, personally, that's not my thing. Um, but yeah, you know, get outside, get some exercise, get some vitamin D, you know, eat healthy, right? Eat healthy, be healthy, stay healthy, uh, and, and let your body's natural immune system, uh, kind of do the work, right? And there's, there's nothing wrong with supplementing that a little bit, you know, I'm not knocking, uh, medicine at all, uh, cause it, it has its place. Um, but at the same time, you know, locking people inside, no fresh air, no vitamin D, no exercise is probably not the way to, to maintain long-term health. And I know you're a big proponent of vitamin D, MC. Yeah. So yeah, get out there. Well, and also, uh, MC pointed out to me about the, uh, the death rate in Hawaii, for example. We've had 17 deaths by coronavirus uh, so far this year, three, three months. And I suppose if it went on year round like that, maybe maybe it would. Well, of course, it's it's way down now. We haven't had uh, any additional deaths in about a month. Thank you, Governor. So we're, we, we've locked it down for 17 deaths. And uh, he pointed out that the flu uh, last year killed 600 and, uh, over 600 people. Actually, it was about in, in 2017, 637 people killed by flu pneumonia. Uh, category it was first in the nation, the highest in the nation uh, as a rate per per ten thousand population, and yet um, they, you know, they're not shutting down the economy for that. They're not yet shutting down the economy. Well, I mean, yeah. They, now that they know right. they can, <laughs> that's right. They didn't back then because the fl- it's it's it it's one of those things that works similarly. Uh, to like to government encroachment, but the other way, right? I mean, they, they couldn't lock down the economy for the flu because everyone is so accustomed to the flu, right? It's so ingrained in, you know, the the natural goings of human existence that no one would take that seriously, right? We must yeah. lock down the entire economy for this thing that occurs every single year um, that a handful of people die from. Um, all tragic, you know, don't get me wrong, all tragic, Uh but they, they, they couldn't, that wouldn't pass like the, the, the community test, right? No one's going to buy that. Uh, but this new thing, this novel coronavirus, right? With it, with its, you know, high, high, uh, I always forget the word vir- virility, the, the, the transfer rate of the virus, uh, how quickly it spreads, how, how badly it hits your respiratory system. Now that, that'll get people scared, you know? And so that's then the impetus that they can use to lock down and shut down and see how far they can push it. But if you start if you start throwing out those statistics, right? Look, coronavirus kills seventeen, the flu kills six hundred. You know why aren't what are we doing about the flu? Uh, just wait, and then pretty soon they're going to have lockdowns for the flu, right? Because if it saves just one life, if 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 just one senior citizen gets another year, uh, you know, out of the program, uh, then then it's worth it. It's worth it to shut everything down and lock everything down. And so that's why one of my favorite movies is is I Robot, and uh, the robots yeah. determine that uh, to keep humans safe, they have to lock all humans in their in their houses, and they can't come out anymore. <laughs> but it's true, right? If I, if if you, if all if your only if your only goal is safety, right? Just right. padded room and have someone feed you intravenously, and and that's. Uh, I think it's a, a consequence of the good times we've had in in the last you know, 20 years of uh, government-induced uh, inflation and, and no crashes in the markets. Like, everything's just humming along so uh, seamlessly and uh, non-eventfully uh, that, that uh, yeah, people now are afraid of, you know, anything changing. And uh, this, this, this virus is just... You know, just the the pin that pricked the bubble to me, uh, is ca- that it's causing this collapse. And you know, I guess what what people are afraid of will become ten times worse because of the uh, the actions that they're taking. Yeah, the the dude who was the dude from Australia that was talking smack on Facebook, right? You know, 
I, I, I like to know who I'm talking to. So I, I will, if they, you know, if they irritate me enough, I will browse their profile just to see what they're all about. Um, and somewhere in like 2016 or whatever, like one of his posts was, you know, uh, look at all the things that us kids from back then, like survived through, you know, like, you know, back seats without seat belts, and, you know, our mom, <laughs> yeah. uh, our, to clean our wounds, our mom just like spit on a rag and wiped it with that. You know, like, there was no antibacterial antiseptic. You just spit in the rag. I'm like, how did this dude, right, go from look how badass I am because, you know, I lived through all this stuff to I'm scared shitless of a virus that kills like less than 1% of people, right? How did that, at what point was that transition made? Like, I didn't discuss this with him, obviously, but like, I was thinking to myself, like, at what point does that transition get made? Like, how does that fear get introduced into his psyche where he can, he can post like three years ago, right? Four years ago, like, look how badass I am because I survived all of this and not see, uh, the similar connection to what's going on right now. Right. Cause I've, I put out, I, you know, I, I put out the challenge to him as well. Like I don't, I don't self quarantine. I associate with people who don't self-quarantine. Uh, a lot of my friends are at Porkfest right now, uh, you know, wrapping up, maybe staying a little through Forkfest. So there's there's a huge gathering of liberty-minded people all in one place for like the past week or so. Uh, and when they come back, we're going to hang out because that's what we do, right? Uh, and if they're not all sick in two weeks, and if I don't get sick in two weeks and we're not all dead, right, well, then at some point, right? Like no one's willing to have this conversation, but at some point you got, you got the conversation needs to be had about, well, what's really causing this, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not calling it 5g. I'm not saying it was grown in a lab, right? But if, if my personal experience and the personal experiences of like dozens of people around me, uh, indicate that no, you can hang out with friends and nobody dies, right? Then, then there must be another factor. Cause in my mind, I go like, well, if, if I do everything wrong, right. And I'm surviving it. Well, then there, you know, there's a premise that needs to be checked somewhere. Am I, am I, uh, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, am I making sense? Yeah, eventually. But, um, I'm also under the impression that, uh, if you don't isolate all the time, uh, that eventually you'll, you'll catch the coronavirus. Um, and so, well, they said you know, that we'll, from the beginning as well. Like we'll, that was we'll check, out there. We'll check back with you after you catch it. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're healthy enough, uh, to, you know, survive it. And then, and then, and then we'll check back with you and see how it went. Yeah. And, and when it first hit, right, that's, that's one of the factors that led to me, like not doing anything right. Is because they said it was, it was so highly contagious and so non-lethal, right. That at some point everyone was going to get it because you, it would be unavoidable uh, in your life, right? Like you're going to get it. Well, they, they also popularized the idea of flattening the curve, which has nothing to do with not get, not ever catching it. Right. So I don't, I don't they, know where they move the goalpost on that too. I don't know. Yeah. How they, how they made that jump from, okay, we're going to flatten the curve to now. Oh no, none of us are going to get it. Like, right. Wh where did you get that? Where did they get that idea that, that they're going to be able to not get it ever? I don't know. Because it went, because that, that was the, that was the next step in the government program, right? We're all going to get it, be on the lookout. Holy crap. Uh, be, because of government policies that were put in place to limit the amount of hospitals that can be built in certain areas and the, you know, the educational restrictions that don't let enough people become doctors, right? The, there's another little, you know, uh, union, uh, you know, collective there, the, the American Medical Association restricting the amount of doctors that they can have right? That there was going to be not enough capacity to handle the onslaught of sick people. So they said, well, flatten the curve, right? We, we won't have as many sick people now, uh, but we will have a lot of sick people for an extended period of time uh, so that the, the hospitals aren't overwhelmed and everyone who needs treatment can get it. So if, if you want to flatten the curve, if you're lucky, you will get it later on, right? When there's capacity for you in the hospital, should you need it. Right. And then somewhere in there in the lockdown, it went from flatten the curve to, you know what, let's just shut this thing down. Right. If we only got like 17 cases, let's just isolate 17 people. Right. Let's isolate everyone and make sure those 17 people don't go anywhere. Uh, and then once those 17 people are clear, then the virus is gone. Right. Then no one gets it. If only 17 people have it, 
and seven, and they, they the virus comes and goes from those 17 people with no one else catching it then it's gone so all we got to then all we got to do is stay locked down until no one gets it and then once no one gets it and there's no new cases then we can stay locked down for another 2 weeks just in case there's someone who has it who might be able to transmit it uh with a- asymptomatically right and then one case pops up in that 2 weeks and go like well okay well this wasn't the 2 weeks right and you know we got we got to stretch it out another we got to wait for that last one when the last person gets it 2 weeks after that right and then and that's how it happened they just they just pushed it out by decree by declaration uh, the governor here in New Hampshire is we we call him His Excellency because that's his title apparently. You imagine that, right? Until as long as His Excellency has decreed uh, that this is the way it is to be, then that's the way it is. I know that there was challenges to the the governor's uh, claim in Hawaii, uh, and again, right? Facebook uh, lefty friends go like, "What nonsense is this? Why could any how could anybody challenge this?" Right, he he's got the authority to lock it down. Just stay in your homes and wear your stupid mask. They don't get it. Woof, right over the head. Second, third, this fourth. Up, uh, this brings up a point that we started just before the recording. We were talking about uh, people living hundred, two hundred, three hundred years ago, and uh, I was reading a book about pirates. And the thing that struck me last night as I was reading it, there's this phrase in there about how how very likely they were to die a, a, a rough death either in war or battle or hung being hung or or from a disease or or just uh, squandering their their money and so on hard life but they all chose it so eagerly and people were constantly joining their ranks because it was freedom and they enjoyed the fact of not being the slave to somebody else and uh, I just can't see that in the population today the sense that freedom is more important than I mean, then um, the lockdown. Now, I think you made a point that, well, there's there's more to lose now in the sense that have a very comfortable life. It's not it's not that we're being whipped by a, a slave master day yeah. in day out and suffering a, a great uh, a torture. But I, I think it's it's much harder in other countries than it is here. But still, the whole spirit of of courage and liberty are so much. Uh, distant it just seems like uh people aren't willing to take risks uh, i mean we're generalizing but the general population well maybe that was true in, the, in those days maybe that's why people went along with kings and governments and wars because they were afraid to stand up against them but there were always rebels yeah. that were quite admirable well and you know the the rebels the the rebels in recent memory right there were protests recently about the lockdowns and those were you know handled Right. And then there were riots uh, and protests recently for Black Lives Matter and the, the whole George Floyd thing. So at some and at some point, right, people find a reason to resist. Uh, and I, you know, we, we had a similar conversation a few weeks back and we won't rehash it entirely. Um, but I felt at that time that this was as good a wave as any to ride. Right. Like you don't you don't have to be, you know, uh, you know, uh, a member of black lives matter or Antifa to get on board with the resistance aspect of it, right. To go like, no, oh, no, if, if, if they're, if they're noticing some, you know, systematic problems with the state, with the government, with the police department, uh, let's, let's assist them. Uh, then, you know, maybe we'll make some headway in, in, you know, getting those things handled, taken care of, reorganized, uh, defunded, is the you know the latest term, right? Like maybe yes, you you raise an, another point uh, that came up during these protests is desi- deciding to tear down the statues. And frankly, I kind of like the idea of re-examining why it is that people were extolled in the past. Now, I personally don't I want the, I want the statue to remain as as part of history, but I don't want it to remain as an icon of virtue. You know, whatever it was, it was always considered, well, now this is a great hero because he conquered the islands. I like, sure. for example, King Kamehameha. Um, I, I I think it should be reexamined, you know, on, on all of these guys. Yeah. When, and, well, when uh, it comes to Hawaii, it's funny that everyone over there wants statues of monarchs, right? We want our yeah. rulers. We just want different yeah, rulers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, too. Yeah. But yeah, no, I hear you. 
you know, when, when the, the Chaz chop thing happened, I was excited. I go, look, look what they've done. Um, and this, I, you know, I, I know, I know it was doomed to fail, right? I don't think that whatever they were doing was going to be, uh, anywhere near sustainable long-term. Um, one of, one of the issues that I took with is the, the ways that they were getting attacked, right? Like, you know, they, they were, they were, uh, you know, communists, the, the leftists, the Antifa, the anarcho-communists, whatever. Um, and so like the, the, the right libertarians, the, the anarcho-capitalists of which I self-identify as, um, but they were all like, you know, attacking them for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. Right. So they go like, look at this shitty community garden that they put up. You know, you can't grow fruit or vegetables to feed an entire population in a mere days. What were they thinking? Well, they were thinking they were going to be there a while. Right. Uh, if you plan on occupying an air, any, any sort of area for a long time. I, I right? don't think that's what they were thinking. No, I get it. I, I, I think it was virtue signaling. <laughs> uh, on whose part? On uh, on the no, on the they, left's part for for building the garden, or on the right's part for pointing out the stupidity of building a garden. The the left's for for building it. Okay. the ho- The whole point was to show that oh we're we're you know not destroying the earth we're self sustainable and we're all these things but it wasn't because they actually thought they would be successful it was because that's how they tell their story. Well, that's an even better reason to not attack them by saying look at a failure this is. Because it was never meant to be a success in the first place, right? Like the the, the attacks was they're they're not <laughs> what it's still absurd either. What, what I mean, whatever reason they're, they're doing it is still absurd. I got you, but then but then you can call out the absurdity without calling it a failure, right? They were they were they were getting attacked for it because it was going to be a failure, right? Look at this. Look at what a failure this garden is because they tried to they dug up the dirt and they tried to plant stuff. Right. And then I saw pictures comparing it to look at this factory farm, right? Look, look at where they grow the corn and the wheat and how well it's laid out. And look at the factory tools and equipment that they have to, to, to harvest the grains and look at the shitty Antifa garden. Right. But it, either it was, wasn't meant to be a success, which means you can't knock it for being a failure. Um, or it was right, at well, least an attempt. That's the thing. I can knock it for both. It doesn't matter. How so? Because it's a shitty garden and it's a shitty idea and it's and it's and it's pure vir- virtue signaling. So, <laughs> oh, see, and I disagree because it may have been a shitty garden, but virtue signaling or not, right? It was it was a statement that was being made. Either here, look yeah, at us, we're all, taking care of the. It's it's a statement being made, but they're not actually accomplishing anything with it other than proving to their neighbors uh, that they are morally superior because they are trying to grow their own shit. Yeah. But they you only gave them like 2 days to do it. I no. Right? You're like <laughs> look, look your garden, you dug up the dirt and you planted seeds and you don't have a garden. Look, look at look at this failure of communism. And that's bullshit. That's not a failure of communism. That's a failure to learn how to garden properly. It's a failure to learn the gestation period of seeds. Right? It's not a failure of it's not that is that example is not a failure of communism. Because their garden sucked after two days, that's a shitty attack. It's, well, it's it's. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, there's, please. There's nothing. There's there's nothing good about their garden. I get it, but you can't you can't even, even, you can't point at the garden if, and, and call it a failure of communism because they weren't able to grow anything in two days. That's that's it, not, not a good I, pitch. I didn't say it, didn't say it had anything to do with communism. It has that, to do with the ideas of the leftists who believe that they are morally superior and that's why they're trying to show their virtue by growing a garden okay and but and that's not the the that's not the attacks that were being made when the garden first went up none none of the posts on social media and the and the the arguments from the right were look at these dumb virtue signalers and their garden when they slapped the blacks only uh, sign on there yeah i get your point that's dumb all of a sudden right but calling <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's dumb either way i i disagree i don't think it's I mean, dumb either way let let people that are good at growing things grow things i mean that's that's the the basics of of uh of capitalism um, that i would agree I with i don't i don't think there's i don't think there's a good reason for growing stuff in the middle of a a city park 
Um, well, because well, that's the park you had, man. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure if I'm sure if they if they set up uh, an autonomous zone outside of a farm, right? You wouldn't be going look look at this communist farm and how terrible it is. Look at this well, virtue that's, signaling that's exactly, with all the wheat that they've grown. That's exactly why they don't put up an autonomous zone near a farm because they don't really want to farm. They want to show how virtuous they are by trying to farm in the middle of a park. Okay. Which is, it's, it's silly. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't silly. I said the attacks on and, it. And based- on top of that, some, somebody, you know, started walking all over their garden and you know, destroying all the crops. Gotcha. <laughs> you <know>, some homeless guy. <laughs> right. But, like, but the, the arguments that were coming out was look at this failure of communism. Look at these silly leftists. And I completely disagree with that because the people making those are- arguments have done nothing. Yeah. But the farm is silly, and the people that are making fun of them are also probably horrible people. So the people, yeah, making the people making fun of them definitely. I don't. I'm not going to begrudge them for trying, right? If if they thought that that's what was going to work and that's what's going to be best, and they, you know, they put action to idea, more power to them, right? the The larger point that I was trying to get at was uh, Ken's uh, was something that Ken brought up earlier, and that's. You know, if you're a small, if you're a small country uh, with, you know, limited natural resources uh, that you have to trade with the outside world. So it was another dumb argument uh, coming from the people on the right saying, look at this autonomous zone begging for charitable handouts from the outside. You know, look at them. Look at them. They took over six city blocks and aren't self-sufficient in three days. I go, of course not. Why? Who's expecting that? Why is that argument even being brought up? Yeah. You haven't even and, given and them still, the opportunity. I still think it would be better for them to not take over six city blocks and go to a ghost town or go to, you know, a, an area just outside of town or whatever and and actually be sustainable and actually grow a city around it. You know, I mean, like Las Vegas yeah. uh, didn't exist. And then because they changed, you know, they had some uh, some uh, some different laws, different system of, of governance. Uh, it turned a desert into, you know, a huge multi-billion-dollar yeah industry. So I feel like I planted that seed a long time ago. I said, I you know, early on, this show's what over six years old now. I think within the first year, I pitched the idea of Occupy Ghost Town. Right? Why don't we take over yeah. a ghost town? No one else is there. We can build it up. And the the answer, you know, from UMC was uh, once once people once the state sees that it's being built up, they will crush it. Right. They will, they will come in and they will destroy it. Well, yeah, they, I mean, unless they can get enough taxes out of it. But they I, wouldn't. I assume, I assume Las Vegas pays a lot of uh, federal taxes. Yeah, but uh, but an occupied ghost town wouldn't have to. An autonomous zone is set <laughs> Until up. Until it gets big would, enough. <laughs> maybe. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's Six what city. I'm saying. Las Vegas has to pay off their uh, you know, protection racket just like uh, you know, every, uh, every other city. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Chaz Chop didn't last long enough to get that far. Right? They yeah. did, they broke did down. It they disbanded. Uh, there were there were calls from you know the Chaz Chop leadership. I don't know how how what that even means mm-hmm. uh, to disband because there were not going to be enough uh, protesters there to sustain it. Like the you know there's strength in numbers and their numbers dwindled quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Under, but again, understandable. You laugh, well, but they—they I mean, they no, did but it. They—they they, they accomplished they more. The homeless people <laughs> understood. But and and you know, but recently the last article that I saw on it was um, the police showed up to dismantle it, um, but there were still enough protesters there to like you know not leave. So there's still some sort of occupation, um, even okay. if it's not the official uh, chop organized protest or occupational protest or whatever uh, chop yeah. stood for. But what I'm saying that is, happened to me in, in high school one time. I forget what we were protesting. It was, I think, actually, I think I remember now. It, it was, uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, we would always have these these chains on our wallets, you know, so somebody can't steal our wallet. Yep, I've had and one of those. That was that was part of our dress. Like it was cool because we had a chain. Chains are cool. Still and, are. Still are. And someone and someone said, "Oh, well, somebody might wrap their." their chain around their fist and punch somebody with it so we can't we can't have chains they're dangerous and i was like that's the stupidest thing anybody could do is wrap a chain around their fist and punch somebody that would hurt you know <laughs> but uh the, the idea of you know the fearful idea stuck 
and they they demanded everybody's chains and uh so we were gonna you know not go to class we were just sitting in the main lobby and then uh, and then eventually um you know the the security guards came around and and the principal and stuff just started you know just taking taking one person at a time uh you know that wasn't paying attention and 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 eventually i was the only one left and i was just standing there with my chain i was like well why didn't they take me damn it <laughs> i felt so lonely <laughs> so i went back to class <laughs> well at least well i mean it would have been nice to have gotten taken as part of it but at the same time like what do you do right <laughs> You go back to class with your chain on. Do you just continue to wear the chain until? Well, I mean, I, I did, but yeah, eventually, yeah. yeah. I for some reason I'm not sure if they were afraid of me or if they just assumed that I was harmless. Which probably I, the latter. Really, I'm really not sure because, <laughs> like, I had good grades. But I was also really quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they just didn't like want to press one of my buttons and see me go off because like I said, I was you know, I was willing to protest like to the end at that yeah. moment. Like, go ahead, take my chain. And then everybody just kind of got taken. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm not gonna out your age uh on the show, but we're kind of contemporaries and you know, school shootings and that sort of thing wasn't a wasn't uh, a fear when we were in high school around that know. time. I don't know. The Columbine thing happened. Or Not when we were in high school. In, what what year was that? I'll have to look it up. I'm pretty sure I was like either in high school or well out of high school by the time that that was a thing. Uh, oh, 19, yeah. That, so that was when we were in college. I was in college. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah. The, the, that fear wasn't on the table. It's not like, you know, uh, let's not piss off MC and see what he does. Uh, no offense, but it was, you know, it, when they have the, when they have the force of power that, you know, teachers and authority figures do, if they see a student leading a resistance, right, they take out the leader. They just, you know, they chop the head off the snake. That dude gets picked up first. That dude gets expelled. You know, that dude gets an example made out of him, you know, to quell the resistance. So no one else wants to be the leader, right? It's an effective yeah. tactic and I'm sure they're aware of it. Um, so again, no offense. I don't want to. I don't want to dim <laughs> diminish your effectiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. But it's more likely that you know they left you because Dad, there's you know there there was no harm in not bothering you. There's there was no fear that you were going to you know lead the uprising, so to speak. Yeah. But yeah. So so the solution it was really creative. They 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 uh, took you know the the bicycle locks that are they're metal with a plastic around them. Yes. Kind of co coiled up. Um, they started using those instead. So it's, it's not a chain. It's just a piece of wire. Ridiculous. Well, and see, I've, you know, I, I've had similar things happen because I know what chain you're talking about because I have the same thing on my keys. Uh, it's proved effective because I used to lock myself out of my car quite a bit. And so mm -hmm. now I just keep, I keep it on a two foot chain attached to my belt loop. Right. Right. And that it's worked for me. Um, but like, you know, going through security at court or at the airport or whatever, right? No weapons, no this, no that, none of that. But like two, you know, four feet of chain is perfectly fine, right? <laughs> like whether I'm going to wrap it around my fist and punch anybody, but you know, you can do some damage with four feet of chain, man. Uh, more so, more so than you can with, you know, a, a, a plastic fork uh, that, you know, they'll take and throw, throw away. Uh, but yeah, so d depending on the context, Right. If it's if it's attached to my keys, perfectly fine. Right. If I if I wear it as a necklace, you know, all of a sudden it's a potential weapon. Right. You can't you can't come in with that, but that perfectly fine type of a thing. Ridiculous. And so arbitrary. But you know, what can you do? All right. Um, do we have time for a headline? Or do you, is there any more to that? I feel like we've exhausted a bunch of those topics. K KS? Uh no, exhausted. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <Those> topics. <laughs> Are you done? Are you, are you? Headline. Go headline. Okay. Ahead, headline. Yeah, go ahead with the headline. All I right. did, I didn't mean that to say that I'm exhausted. I meant that the topic was exhausted. Yeah. Okay. I had a, fe I had a feeling. Um, I have a bunch of headlines. I want to just read this one because I want to get your guys' opinion on it. Um, because I I kind of know how I feel. Um, and we'll go with that. So first off, coming from LouRockwell.com. Are you familiar? Sure. Okay. So, uh, the, the subheadline for Lou Rockwell, just so you know, anti-state, anti-war, 
pro-market, right? So you would think libertarian-ish leaning, although maybe not in the you know Trump administration era, right? They kind of lost, lost their way a little bit. But here, uh, from lewrockwell.com, the headline, theft of government property is still theft. So let's get into this article. It's short, and then I'll get your comments. Suppose that your city has tax-supported capital goods like buildings, snowplows, swimming pools, parks, libraries, etc. Do you have the right to take these for yourself? Is it stealing if you take them? Of course it's theft, and it's silly and dangerous to reach any other conclusion. Uh, Clearly, you have no such right. And theory, libertarian or otherwise that says you have a right to take government property is either wrong or being misinterpreted so as to arrive at the wrong conclusion. You have no right because your city government is legitimate in the sense that it's accepted by the citizens of your locality. If you take city property, you are taking what belongs to them. The city is their agent and yours. The citizens finance the purchase of its capital goods The city property is protected by the same kind of laws that protect your property, and if you take it or vandalize it, you are supposed to be held accountable for your crimes. The system of government is almost universally seen as defective, but that too does not give any individual or group, uh, or excuse me, any, any individual or group of individuals a right to steal or vandalize city property. There are right ways to modify governments and theft of government property is not one of those ways. People always complain about what governments do, and they always complain about taxes. Some even argue that taxes are theft and governments illegitimate. But unless people en masse can be persuaded to modify their governments or their leaders, unless people can be persuaded that they are tax slaves or in tax bondage, so that they decide as a group to alter their government, the government remains, and it remains legitimate, imperfect, it remains legitimate, imperfect, stained, inefficient, but still legitimate. It remains in power, and taking its property is still theft. As long as it's power, it's in power, taxes are its property too, and if you or any group unilaterally create a tax revolt, you can be expect you can expect to be treated as committing a crime. Uh, end of the article. So, anti-Lou Rockwell, anti-state, anti-war, pro-market, uh, pro-government property. Your thoughts? That's from Llewell, uh, LlewellinRockwell.com. Is it uh, authored by Lou It Rockwell? is not authored by Lou Rockwell. It is on his website. The author is Michael S. Rosef, um, who is a normal contributor. Like I see, I, I come across Lou Rockwell articles, and I, I see that name frequently enough where um, I don't think it's a guest post or something posted uh, out of turn. Well, one thing that he said was accurate. He said, if you take government property you can expect uh, to be held accountable. Well, yes, that's true. That That's one reason why um, a lot more people don't do it because they will expect a consequence, a negative consequence. They go to jail or fined or, or shot or whatever. Um, but go to a basic uh, first principle. If I should um, take something from you that, that you haven't given me permission to take, and then MC takes it from me. Um, is it theft for MC to take it from me? I would have to say, well, no, it isn't. Um, it wasn't mine. And uh, it wasn't, you know, it, property is belongs to the person who is the proper owner for some reason, either by homesteading or by trade um, or by production. And I... Uh, I would say that on a moral principle, uh, not a consequential principle, because, you know, clearly you're, you're going to have a, a, a consequence for, for stealing government property. Right. But I that part, think, I get, I, I, that part's understood. I don't think yeah. that's, you know, the case that's being but made I, here. I don't see a moral problem with it. Okay. Because I don't believe that it would, like, if taxation is theft, um, then you're just stealing from a robber. Yeah. So in, in, in your example, uh, KS, if you steal from me and then sell it off to MC, I have a right to reclaim it from MC because it's mine. Yes. On first yes. principle. And then if MC feels slighted in any way, his issue is with you for, you know, fraudulently selling him stolen goods. Yeah. That's the way I would see it. And, and a lot of it uh, depends on 
how you can identify who was the proper owner and that sort of thing. But, uh, but when our basic example, I'm the proper te- owner. Technical you know, diff- so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I remember one time uh, I was living up in Alaska and I, I, I went to this garage sale. This, this guy, a former policeman, he was leaving the police force and moving out of Sitka and going to move down to the lower 48. And uh, he was selling off his stuff. I bought a bicycle and a vacuum cleaner from him. Later, when I was riding that bicycle around, some guy said, hey, that's my bicycle. And it turns out that this this guy, this former policeman, was a former policeman because he was caught uh, always stealing from the people he was supposed to be watching over uh, every evening. And so finally, they they fired him. Uh, but in any case, all of this stuff in his in his apartment, he was selling off to get cash from. So I was the uh, unfortunate um, go-between in this. And yeah, I, I just, I didn't even ask him how he knew it was his bike. I mean, people know when it's their bike and when they, I mean, it was clearly uh, yeah. in his mind, recognized it. It wasn't a big deal. So I said, sure, take it. <laughs> and uh, he had every right to it because it was um, stolen property. Yeah. Now I under I understand that you just let it go, but you know you you could have protested a bit, you know, prove that it's your bike because I have a I have you know what you would think would be like a legitimate bill of sale of some kind. I purchased it from this guy, you know. Here's the receipt or whatever. If you you know I don't know if you have documents for that. No, kind of thing. no, it was a garage yeah. sale. Understood, yeah. but I mean you you know if 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 I purchased something outright and then someone else claimed it was theirs, I would I would I would demand evidence, right? Actually. Without the receipt and and with more formal documentation, I was pleased that he didn't accuse me of stealing his bike. Yeah, <laughs> you know because he he could have. He said, "Well, how do you have my bike?" And then, and then, uh, you know, if we went to the police and and asked for some kind of uh, you know, witnesses to say, "Well, that that was that guy's bike," and he reported it. I mean, it could have gone yeah. down a bad turn for me. But I, I don't know if I would go that far. But you know, if he said if he proved it, it was his bike. And you go like, well, I bought it off of this guy. Do you know that guy? Because he's the one who yeah. stole it from you. Everybody right. in town had knew his reputation. So yeah, well, there you go. It's quite yeah. legitimate uh, to everybody where where how it happened, but it's not always so clear. Yeah, <coughs> which 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 kind of, and I think that's the problem with this uh, with this article and this perspective is the lines are blurred when it comes to government property, right? Because it's 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 well known that you know all that they have is stolen. Right. And you know, they, they have nothing of their own. They produce nothing. They only they only take from the productive and do it. So whereas they claim that, you know, their capital goods, buildings, snowplows, swimming pools belongs to everybody. Right. Well, if it belongs to everybody, everyone's got a claim to it. Then surely I can take it. Right. Seems, mm-hmm. you know, if they, if they if they stole from me, right, the, uh, from the moral aspect, if the government stole from me through taxation, uh, do I not have the right to, to, uh, reclamation? Can I not go, can I got, not go get back the funds, uh, or equal value for the funds in some form or fashion? Do I not have that? Cla- Cause that seems to be like what the, what the article is making the claim for. And, uh, if, if I want to take this into the realm of conspiracy theory, uh, I think this is because of the more recent right leanings of lewrockwell.com. Um, and what you talked about earlier, which is the statues being pulled down, right? Yeah, he's just he's just got a gut reaction against this uh, the the protests and all. But you're right; seems to be principle doesn't yeah. seem to be on principle. Seems and, to be know, a reaction the, to that. The government itself acknowledges the right to compensation when they say, "Well, we're going to condemn your property and take it." They they still offer you compensation for what they say it's worth in the market. Yeah, the uh, lowball figure. Which is an yeah, but but it's still it's an acknowledgement that we stole it, and uh, and we're and it it's value to you, and you have a right to a claim on um, some just compensation. But they don't say that with taxes. You know, I mean, shouldn't yeah. you be compensated for taxes too? Ah, <laughs> uh, you are. You get compensation in the form of services and 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 goods that the that the state provides. You get the roads. Right, you get the roads, the police force, the ambulance, board of naturalization, uh, natural. Uh, what is it? BLNR, whatever. Bureau of Land and Management. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, did you have any thoughts on this, MC? No, 
Okay, so I'm going to jump to a different article briefly. Then, um, also Maybe briefly because uh, we're we're due at uh, home for a lunch. Soon. Yep, very briefly. Just Thank you. Uh-huh. give me like thirty seconds, KS. Okay. Uh, also from LouRockwell.com, authored by Walter E. Block, uh, and the headline of this one is "Can You Steal from the Government?" Uh, in the headline, he answers, "No." Uh, Can you liberate from them? And the answer is yes. Uh, so someone asked, I uh, sent him a question about, uh, you know, taking garbage off the street. And this is the uh, Walter Block's response to that question. But I think it applies here uh, from Walter Block. Uh, the way I see it, the government cannot be the legitimate owner of anything. It is therefore okay to liberate anything from them, uh, from garbage dumps, books from their libraries, whatever. But this applies only to illegitimate governments defined as those that I'll never live in or visit. Hey, I don't want to be I don't want to be convicted of a crime and go to jail. Best regards, Walter. Uh, so I <laughs> I brought this up because again, same source, right? LouRockwell.com, different authors, and I just liked his phraseology that uh, you can't steal, but you can liberate. So I like that. So I wanted to get that in uh, as back to back. Nicely put. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts then, since you guys got to get going. Nope. Nope. Okay, All right. That'll do it for us good. then. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anarchist go, go experience. Liberate stuff. some books from the library. There you go. Anarch- or, or just go to the public <laughs> library, AKA the torrent sites, as Brian Sovereign from Sovereign like to say, uh, that'll do it for us. Anarchist experience.com telegram, uh, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you may do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Peace.